Ladies and gentlemen, welcome back to the Competing for Christ podcast. I'm your host, Ken Burke, and man, do we have a special guest on today. Bruce Naden joins us all the way from South Africa. Bruce is a preacher, an author, a sports pastor, chaplain of South African soccer or football team, depending on the culture you live in, uh, soccer team Stellenbosch FC, uh, and co-founder and national director of Sports Chaplaincy South Africa. Bruce, with all that being said, thank you so much for coming on today. It really means a lot. Ah, it's great, great to be here. Thank you very much for having a change of accent. So um, and for those of you who might be expecting a South African, they've actually got what we call a pommy here, a, a Brit here for, from the UK. So you get a UK voice in South Africa on an American-based podcast. Fantastic. That's awesome. That is awesome. Um, but first order of business today, I really would love it if you just gave us some background on both your experiences as a Christian and in sports. And I know that's a loaded question because, you know, you've been around sports and you've been a Christian for so long. Like, I don't even know how you begin, but can you just give us some background? I'd love if you just shared that story. Yeah, I, I mean, my background is I, I came to Christ um, in the midst of, of depression, um, uh, contemplating suicide at the age of, of 17. I, I, I'd actually been a, a, a pretty talented 800-meter um, uh, runner at high school and cricket, which will be a foreign sport to many of your, your listeners. Uh, but I was a decent cricketer, then, then suffered illness, had mental health problems, uh, met Jesus, uh, returned to my cricket and took that very seriously for for a few years after becoming Christ. But uh, my hopes of becoming a, a professional cricketer didn't quite materialise. I sort of played at the, the best level just below that. Um, and, and interestingly, made the decision at 22, maybe because I was now married. I got married quite young, um, had a daughter uh, on the way, just, just, just felt that I, I needed to prioritise other things in my life. So love sport all my life like many people in the uk i'm a big soccer fan um and uh um you know god called me to ministry um uh, to, to lead a church at the, the around about the age of 30. Uh, i led a church just outside of a city nobody had heard of until a few years ago called leicester until our professional football team went and won the premier league at odds of five thousand to one uh, so the greatest underdog sporting story ever. I never thought I'd see that happen. Uh, but five years into my time leading this church, God supernaturally opened the door for me to be uh, chaplain at the football club. It wasn't a gig that I was looking for, uh, but God you know, gave me the green light. And then we moved to South Africa um, in 2009. Um, I was going to be involved in sports ministry here, but more at grassroots level in the townships and um, in the prisons, um, but but although I wasn't looking to do sports chaplaincy, it kind of followed me. And very soon after I was here, I found myself um, offering pastoral and spiritual care to uh, predominantly soccer players. Um, and then in 2014, one of the professional football teams here invited me uh, to take on a chaplaincy role. So it was the first appointment of its kind um, in professional football, soccer uh, here in South Africa. So that, that, that's, that's trying to condense my story as much as possible. But, but my primary involvement, other than being a really passionate fan and, and maybe a, you know, a rookie hopeful when I was a youngster, my primary, primary experience of working in sport has been as a pastor serving athletes and coaches. Hmm. So 
I, I mentioned before uh, the sports chaplaincy at South Africa that you co-founded and now direct. Why did you start that originally? Was it because you saw the need for that in South Africa? Yeah, I think so. I mean, in 2013, we'd been here about four years and, you know, we believed our time here had come to a crossroads. And, you know, there were two or three directions that, that, that I felt my ministry can go in. And, you know, one of the questions I kind of put before God was, you know, didn't come here to do sports chaplaincy, but here I am actually working with, um, you, you know, mentoring, discipling a, a number of professional footballers. There's no sports chaplaincy movement here. You know, do you want me to start one? And, uh, you know, I could think of a lot of reasons why I shouldn't. Um, and one of them was the fact that I was a foreigner. Um, but um, God moved in answer to that prayer and started to, you know, open doors. And one of my prayers had been that if you want me to do this, Lord, then you're going to have to open the door at, at Ajax Cape Town, one of our professional soccer clubs here. And God did that. Um, I didn't knock on any doors. Um, I didn't take the initiative in any of that. God just started to open doors. And, uh, you know, that, that would be story uh, testimony for another podcast. Uh, but uh, um, uh, that, that was the catalyst, really. You know, God had opened this door and here was an opportunity to use this as a platform that would allow us to, you know, look to multiply um, uh, expressions of chaplaincy ministry in, in South Africa. And that's, that's what we've been engaged in ever since. You mentioned uh, mentoring different athletes, and you know you you chaplain a team now. Even what what was what's the, been the most important thing that you've learned throughout your career, whether mentoring athletes or pastoring athletes? I would say I, I would say a number of things, but we talk a lot in in our training, and and I seek to embody this about the power of presence. So when people ask me what I do. I actually say I hang around with intent. Um, I hang around uh, with the intention of building relationships of trust so that sports people, whether that's the athletes themselves, coaches or members of staff, feel that they've got somebody in their community, whatever they believe, that will be a non-judgmental, confidential, trustworthy presence um, in their lives. And so hanging around... Uh, hopefully not getting in the way, but just hanging around and being that consistent presence, sharing life with people um, is actually at the heart of my ministry. So I sometimes joke that I, I spend a lot of my life wasting my time for Jesus. Uh, but of course, you can't waste your time for Jesus. And so I've seen the power of investing intentionally, not in program, but be, but but in in presence, and um, seen great fruit from from that over many many years. Mm. What's been the biggest difference for you, when when it comes to mentoring individuals, opposed as opposed to mentoring a whole team or a whole uh, club? I think I think I think the big difference is that when 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 you've got to 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 the stage in a relationship where somebody is intentionally inviting you. Now, they're saying to you, they're giving you permission and saying, you know, I, I'd like you to, to walk a road with me. Then, then, you know, that's very different, isn't it, from being in a place where you are, you're available to everybody, but not necessarily everybody's going to make full use of, of what you might be able to offer them. So, so everything in the, in the end is, is about permission. 
you know, I, I don't go um, banging down the doors to get into people's lives. You know, I'm available and I'm available to them on their terms um, and when they're ready. Um, so, so I think that's, 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 that's been the key. Everybody knows that, you know, when you're working with the willing, <laughs> that's, that, 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 that's, that's when you can, you, you know, you can be most effective and, and, and offer people the most. But, you know, so, some people get to a place where they trust you very quickly. Um, other people, you know, that takes time. And the reality is some people never, ever get to that place. They, they might like you. Uh, but the relate relationship always remains on the surface and you're never able to go much deeper with them. And you have to respect that. Mm, yeah. And I feel like the relationships you do make when you go deeper and they allow you, you to go deeper, those relationships are unlike any other because those surface level conversations are not even close to the conversations, the deep conversations you have with those people that allow you to enter into their lives. Yeah, for sure. For sure. No, no, absolutely. Absolutely. And I, I you know, and I, I, I don't have any expectation that that will happen. I obviously hope that it will happen, but it's not something that you can make happen. It's, 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 you know, you have to, you, you have to appreciate um, that, you know, people have their own spaces. And, you know, I, I often say to, you know, in group sessions with, with, with the players that I'm working with at the moment, when we address particular issues, the club or the coach might want me to issue. One of one of the things that that everybody needs is safe spaces, knowing who their dream team is, where the safe spaces are to go and get advice and to share vulnerability. Uh, and I make it clear, you know, I'm available for that. But there might be other people in your life. The important thing is you know you know where those safe spaces are. We we were talking a little bit about before. Uh, the podcast started today about your book, Call Up, the Competitor's Playbook. Uh, so I wanted to ask you about this. While writing your book, uh, what did you learn about balancing athletics with Christianity? And also, I, I would love if you just give an explanation of why you wrote the book and what you're doing with that now. Yeah, I, I, I mean, the genesis of the book came about actually um, as a result of getting a former professional footballer who uh, had played in the German Bundesliga, a South African international. He'd retired, he'd written a book, and in his book he'd talked about some mental health challenges. And I thought, hey, it'd be really good to get him over to Cape Town, get him in front of uh, different professional footballers and just talk to him about his story. And we can touch upon mental health because, you know, I know that's an issue. And having this, a guy of his prominence being willing to be vulnerable about this would be really helpful. And cutting a long story short, uh, uh, the first club that he shared with, um, a player who had shared a, a, a locker room with him um, a few years before, um, j just said, you know, you know, after the warm-up, you would disappear into the bathroom with a little book. Uh, what were you doing? And he said, oh, many years ago, a pastor gave me a prayer book. And before the game, I'd just go into the bathroom, sit down, quiet my heart and just use one of the prayers in this book. And I felt the energy change in the room. So whilst we have a, a, a wide range of, of beliefs here, ancestral stuff um, in South Africa, Muslims um, and Christians and people of all sorts of, of spiritualities and, and, and worldviews, there is a culture of prayer in most of our sports communities. 
And so I felt the energy change. And I remember saying, saying to Delron, this player afterwards, I said, have you still got that book? And he got it and he showed it to me. And, uh, you know, it, it wasn't particularly contextualized for the sports context. Um, but the thing that stood out to me was that it was pocket-sized. You know, it was something you could really easily put in your kit bag and take with you wherever you went. And, and, and it dawned on me that, that, that actually here was an opportunity to produce a book like that that directly spoke into the felt needs of sports people. So there are prayers in this book before competition, after competition, before training, after training, when you're injured, when you drop from the team, you know, when you're moving teams, you know, the, the, the sort of stuff that typically will be at the forefront of the experience of sports people. And I think we had three main aims with the book. The first one was, was pastoral. Um, you know, our, our primary reason for existing, not sole, but our first reason for existing is to, to, to care for people, you know, regardless of, regardless of their beliefs, to love them as Jesus loves them where they are, not love them because they're a sports person or because they're talented, but love them because, because Christ loves them and to be available to them at, at times of crisis and need. And so, so the prayers in this book aim to kind of respond to those pastoral challenges that sports people would face. But the second one was discipleship. You know, we've got this culture of prayer in South Africa, but there's all these different worldviews and spiritualities that are, are running into this. And of course, typically amongst sports people, it's the kind of rabbit foot sort of superstitious stuff. If we do this, maybe God will be on our side. Mm -hmm. And we wanted to write, we wanted to write a book that was was Christ-centered and focused on God's purpose for life and sport, and that that would be that would be clear in the language of the prayers. So, you know, we've even been careful about, you know, we've even been careful about how we cr have crafted the prayers. So, for example, when a player is injured, it's very easy for that person just to focus on their needs. So. You know, we, 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 the, 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 the sports person is invited in that prayer to think about how they can serve others despite their own need. And interestingly, just a few weeks ago, one of our Rugby Sevens guys um, was, um, I, I just had a conversation with him. He's coming back from injury, hoping to play in this, this weekend's World Cup. And uh, um, he was saying that the prayers had really helped him. And one of the things that had really helped him, and this is the, this is the discipleship aspect, was asking God to help him serve his teammates despite his circumstances. And so, so, you know, that's just one example of how we wanted to use the book as a discipleship tool. And then finally, it's an evangelistic tool. You know, what about, what about um, resourcing Christian athletes up and down the country with a book that they don't just use themselves, but they can easily share with their teammates so you know if you were on an app with a prayer uh, that's great that will serve you but nobody's going to ask you what you're doing or they're unlikely to you get this book out in a locker room suddenly you've got teammates who are going what's that uh, and what we found is that that a lot of christian athletes have been able to share this book very easily coaches have as well uh, our national women's team coach, they've just won the African Championships. And, uh, you know, she's been using this before training sessions and in other teams. And, 
uh, you know, it was wonderful on social media. We actually saw uh, the South African Football Association on their official on their official channels actually showing showing her using this book uh, with the with 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 the team. But but you know, equipping coaches, equipping um, athletes to be able to uh, share Jesus with people in their world in a way that's very very user friendly. Yeah. Yeah, there's so much to unpack to what in what you just said. But first of all, I, I love that you brought up injuries, and I feel like one of the main reasons why I started the podcast was because I was injured, and I, you know, I have been injured before, and Jesus shows you a lot through your injury. He shows you what your priorities are. He shows you how he's going to use you through that injury. And I'm actually reading a book right now called Training Camp by John Gordon. And it's a very good book. And he's, uh, I mean, in the book, he, you know, he mentions like this, this athlete that's going through an injury and the athlete's like, there's no point in this injury. Like there's no point at all. And then one of his coaches is just like, God's using this. You don't, you don't see right now. Maybe you won't see it for a little bit, but Sooner or later, you're going to realize that this injury is used for whatever whatever it is, whether it be serving others, whether it be serving the team, whether it be evangelizing to others or making your spirit crave Jesus instead of your sport. Like that, there's so much weight in in an injury that we don't even realize. I think I think there's so much truth in that, isn't there? And and of course that's that's scriptural. I know I know it can become. It can easily become kind of a trite soundbite, but it's not. You know, Romans eight twenty eight. For we know that in all things, and in all things, God works for the good for those who know and love Him. And it's not a promise for everyone; it's a promise for those who are in Him. You know, we we we, we can we might waste a hurt, but God never does. And um, you know, you're, you're right. Injury can be an opportunity. Um, I think it was C.S. Lewis who said that God shouts at us in our pain. You know, um, and uh, um, he gets our attention if we're we're willing to 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 listen. So you know, maybe it's an opportunity for us, as you say, to grow closer to God. Maybe it's uh, opportunity, uh, an opportunity for God to display His mercy and strip us of pride, uh, to strip us of arrogance and of self reliance. Uh, opportunity for us to grow in humility or or in patience. Um, an opportunity to have a story that will later on help others. You know, who better to help someone else, um, someone who's going through an injury, than somebody who's gone through it and 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 learned the redemptive power of God in the process. So I think I think you're absolutely right. There, there. You know, that's the hope in our suffering. The hope in our suffering and our pain is that God can do more. Not that God causes our pain, but that God is able to use it. Mm, yeah, yeah, that is so true. And as we move into our topic today, I, I, I love you know the trajectory of where this conversation is going. Uh, obviously, you've been around sports a long time, and you've seen sports through a Christian lens. I can already tell that. And I think a big issue with many people, many athletes nowadays, is that they don't, they may have regrets when, when they're playing or after they're done playing, or, you know, they're afraid that they won't maximize their time as an athlete, especially for Christians. Uh, and I know I've, I've even struggled with this, but in your opinion, how do you maximize your time as an athlete, whether that be spiritual, mental, or of course, physical? 
yeah, when you when you said you were going to ask this question beforehand, it was the question that that probably stretched me the most. Mm. And I'm probably going to come at this, I think, from a maybe a slightly different angle. Because when Jesus talks about, if you like, maximizing, he likens us, doesn't he, to um, grapes on a vine. He talks about the potential we have as we abide in him to bear much fruit. And, I, I, and there's so much in that picture that we could unpack. But I think there's a clue there. Yeah, I believe that God places a potential in every athlete that is physical and mental and technical, for sure. But at the heart of who we are and the foundation for all of that has to be our spiritual well-being. And, and, you know, I live in a part of the world right now in Cape Town um, where we produce about 3% of the world's wine. So we're familiar with vineyards. And what you notice straight away with, with vineyards and for, for, for wine to, for, for, for the vines to produce good fruit is they have a trellis. You know, they have a structure in which they they can grow and grow healthily and I believe God's given us a a structure that enables us to grow and if you like maximize our fruitfulness Um, and and those structures are are, are sometimes called spiritual disciplines Um, and athletes know all about discipline you know they know all about discipline they know all about having structured time Uh, to intentionally pursue particular activities, whether that's the stretching, whether that's gym, whether that's nutrition, whether that's working on technical aspects of of their sport. They know all about discipline and and the value of discipline and structure. And, And I believe that Jesus is pointing us towards a spiritual structure that leads to vital spiritual health. And it's it's not rocket science. You know, we get so busy doing the other stuff and pursuing the other stuff that we forget solitude, we forget silence, we forget and we neglect Sabbath, we we neglect time in God's word and in prayer and in community and in and in fasting. And I'm not saying this to kind of like heap a load of law on people or make anybody feel guilty, but actually saying there's a structure here, there's a trellis around which our lives can grow healthily. And so whether you're a sports person or not, when we neglect the spiritual practices of Jesus, we put at risk everything else. And so if we want to maximize the joy that we can we can we can receive in our sport, it actually starts by us abiding in Christ and being attentive to those spiritual practices that will attune us to his presence in our life in every moment. Yeah. And when I reflected on this question too, I, I first thing I thought of was the only way you maximize your time as an athlete is by serving others. And 
I, as we mentioned before, if you serve others, more more likely than not, your play on the field is going to get better. It just it just works out that way because you're not focused on yourself anymore. You're focused on the team and their goals and Jesus. Yeah, hundred percent. You know, and what what's the great commandment? It's love God, and it's love others, and of course, uh, love ourselves. But I, I I think Jesus assumes that you know there's an order there. You know, and our culture says start with yourself. You know, look inwardly, find the resources within yourself, love yourself. Then you can do no, no. Actually, there's there's there there, there is a there is an order here in the great commandment. You know, and love of God abiding in Him enables us to love others, and in the process we find our satisfaction in all other things made complete. And and so so actually actually any sports person listening to this, you know, uh, there'll be others who tell them how they can maximize their potential physically, but I would want to say don't neglect the importance of putting God first and abiding in by in Him and learning the spiritual practices that will help you grow and then receive the full um, potential of what God has for you in your sport. That's so interesting because, I mean, you live in South Africa now. I live in the U.S. And I feel like us in the U.S. think it's just a, just our country problem that has the self, self-motivation, self I guess. But it's not. It is, it is the entire world nowadays. It's just, it's a, it's a, it, we live in a fallen world. And the entire world is telling you that you need to take care of yourself when, as a matter of fact, you need to take care of others and also you have to love God first and foremost. Yeah, you know, if my if my soul is at rest with God, you know, and 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 I'm walking with Him, walking walking in the Spirit, then those other things are gonna those other things will take care of themselves. You know, if 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 Jesus is bigger than you know, this is a bit of a, a children's analogy here, but if Jesus is is bigger than the universe that He made, you know. Um, uh, but he comes to live in us by his spirit when we invite him in and we continue to abide in him. Well, guess what? He's going to show through. You know, he's going to show through. And so, you know, I'm still learning. He- hear me to, you know, to all the young sports people out there. You know, I'm, near, I'm 58 in a few months time. You know, I'm still learning, you know, to, to be disciplined. I'm still learning these spiritual practices. But I do know this, that. That, that actually actually whatever I'm doing is more fruitful, more meaningful, more joyful um, when, when I'm abiding in him and I'm closer to him. And being a lifelong learner is something that I, I know I struggle with because I know I want to have the, all the answers, but you just can't. You, it's impossible. Only, only God has all the answers. So as we, as we focus on I want to focus on three questions today that I would like to ask you about maximizing your time as an athlete practically. Of those are making mistakes, comparing ourselves to others, other athletes, other people, and giving up. I think those are three major topics that athletes face nowadays. So first of all, what can you say to an athlete to make them feel okay-ish with with making mistakes? Obviously, it's going to happen. How do we, how do we, how do we how do we feel satisfied with our time as an athlete, even though we make mistakes? It's the hardest thing, isn't it? I think, uh, 
a, a few weeks ago, one of our one of our young players, he'd just broken into the first team. He'd won man of the match one day. Four days later, he's scoring the goal that secures a 3-1 win. And then we're in a cup quarterfinal. Um, it's a relatively young club, so it was the first quarterfinal that the team had ever been in. And we were playing really well and we were winning 1-0. And this is the biggest crowd he's ever played in front of. And he's having a great game. And then he makes the mistake that leads to the equalising goal. And cut a long story short, we end up losing on on penalties. And he's 19 years of age. And he was the youngest player on the on the field. And, you know, you can imagine he's devastated at the end. And bless him, you know, he apologises to the whole team. Um, and, um, you, you know, I, I, in, in those moments, I see my role as... Um, you know, I see my role as, you know, to be the one that puts an arm around the shoulder. You know, it's not about words um, because he's hurting. You know, he's hurting. But actually, he, he, he did the very thing that I would first of all say to any sports person. And that is you will make mistakes. You know, we are, we are finite and we are fallible. And we will make mistakes. Um, and, you know, we have to own our mistakes. And he did. You know, he was accountable for it. Um, and that's not an easy thing to do, but he didn't point fingers elsewhere. Um, and at 19 years of age, that be, might have been easy to do that. But he, you know, he took full accountability, he owned his mistake. And, and so that's probably the first thing I'd say. But, but I'd also want to say that it's, it's, in many ways, it's an opportunity to, to grow. Um, and, and, I, and I love what... Um, James says in his very first chapter, I'm just actually going to read uh, this. It says, dear brothers and sisters, when troubles come your way, consider it an opportunity for great joy. For you know that when your faith is tested, your endurance, there's a great sports word, eh? endurance has a chance to grow. So let it grow for when your endurance is fully developed, you will be perfect and complete, needing uh, nothing. You know, our mistakes are an opportunity to grow. Um, they're an opportunity to grow in our sport. Um, but I think they're also an opportunity for us to grow, for a sports person to grow in character. And surely that's one of God's ultimate goals for, for our lives, for us to grow in the fruit of the Spirit, to become more like Jesus, who is our, you know, who is our, our ultimate mentor um, and and coach so so it can be an opportunity we we talked about this earlier with injuries but you know we can become prideful we can become self-reliant and maybe those mistakes are an opportunity for us to have that highlighted um, maybe we've become self-sufficient um, so maybe it's an opportunity for us to you know, to grow in, 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 in other areas of our lives. But mistakes are humbling, aren't they? They're humbling. But the second thing is, is, is that it's, it's also an opportunity for us to remember the gospel. And whilst a mistake on the field is not necessarily a sin, it's a reminder that sin ultimately is falling short of the mark. Um, it's, it's missing the mark of, of God's mandate for us to be image bearers. Um, it's missing the mark of what it means for us to be fully human. 
um, and to and and to present God's likeness into the world and into creation. We all fall short, and the gospel message remains the same. If if we are judged on our performance, we're out of here. Our performance falls short. Yeah, but God is rich in grace and mercy. And whilst we were still sinners, Christ died for us. And, and so I think there's opportunity for, in that to, for us to remember, uh, to remember the gospel, um, to remember that we are fallible and fallen and, um, and that we're not ultimately defined by our good works, although we're called to them and saved for them, but we're ultimately defined by his perfect, complete, finished work on the cross. Yeah, I love that. And I love that, I love that James verse, verse that you brought up too. That's great. So the second, second, part of this, or second part of this topic is comparison. And obviously, I mean, the centuries-old quotes, comparison is the thief of joy. How can athletes remember this while participating in sports? Because it's a, it's a hard topic. It's a hard issue. Oh, we all do it, don't we? Doesn't matter whether you're a pastor, whatever it is you do, we so easily start to to look at what someone else is doing. You know and that, you know, Peter in the glorious moment of being reinstated over breakfast by the Sea of Galilee says, "But what about him? What's happening with John?" <laughs> you know, and uh, uh, we 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 do it all the time, don't we? And uh, I, I, one of the things that I, I, I love to do is, is help sports people redefine success. We'll begin to unpack that because our culture says success is many things. It's bank balance, it's fame, celebrity, it's trophies. Um, you know, that's what success is. And one of, one of the things that I, I, I do sometimes is our currency here is the rand. So I'll have a group of guys in a room and, and I'll give one of them five rand and I'll give one of them 10 rand and I'll give another one 20 rand. And um, I, 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 I will then say, imagine that all three of these people now put their money to work and the five rand guy trebles his and turns it into 15 rand. And the 10 rand guy doubles his and turns it into 20 rand. And the 20 rand guy increases it by 10% and he now has 21 rand. And if I was to ask you the question, who's got the most, you're still all going to point at 21 rand guy. He's got the most. He's the winner in our culture. 20 rand guy is going to go, oh, I'm so close to him, but hey, he's better than me. And 15 rand guy based on the judgment of our culture, is a loser. But who would we give our money to? We'd give it to five rand guy. Imagine, mm -hmm. imagine if 20 rand guy had trebled his, he'd have 60. Yeah, 10 rand guy would have 30. Right, but they didn't. Yeah, and, 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 and John Wooden, you know, John Wooden famously, and I'm paraphrasing him here, says, you know, success is giving my best to be the best that I can be. You know, and and so the competition is not in the room. The competition isn't on your team. The competition is in the mirror. Yeah. Am I doing the best that I can with the talent God has blessed me with and with the opportunity he's given me? 
Am I doing the best that I can where I am with what God's given me? Uh, and I know this can be a, a bit of a cliche and many people have heard it before, but you know, your, your, your talent is God's gift to you, but what you do with your talent is your gift back. And we call that worship. And, and, and so I think we have to redefine success. And I think ultimately success in God's eyes is that we're becoming more like Jesus and doing the things that Jesus would do if he was where, where we are. I think that's what he means, at least in part, to be a disciple, to be with Jesus, to become like Jesus and to do the things that Jesus would do if he was where we are. That's ultimately, I think, success or, or fruitfulness, faithfulness, however you want to you know, however you want to define that. But I think, you know, ultimately I want sports people to understand just like that money, you didn't do anything to earn that money. It was given to you. You know, your talent to play a particular sport is a gift. Yeah, gifts are to be enjoyed. So enjoy the gift of sport. Enjoy the opportunities you've been given. Enjoy the environments as much as it's in your power. Enjoy those environments that, that you're in and, and, and give your best to each day, you know, um, and, and, and the likelihood is most of us are never going to end up being the best, but we can be the best that we can be. And I think that glorifies and honors God. So now, now that we've, we've gone through the first two questions, the last question might be the hardest for athletes that may, you know, they're considering about quitting they're considering considering giving up on their sport maybe they don't ha they don't find that joy in sport anymore how how can athletes flip the script and maximize their athletic experience whether even as a christian or as not yeah that's that, that that's that's a great question i think i think there's a lot of ways of looking at that i think there is a time to quit <laughs> yeah definitely i think there's a time to quit i think you know, the saddest thing is seeing people who really should have quit, not quitting right. <laughs> for whatever reason. You know, they, they, they want to prove something. They're not enjoying it anymore. Um, but I, I think all of us can find, you know, that there are stages in our lives where we're not enjoying what we're doing. Um, and the, the reasons for that can be many and varied. And I'd certainly want to explore with any individual athlete, you know, not not just the feelings they're experiencing, but what the source of that might be. Um, but commonly, I think, commonly, I think we need to be brought back to, you know, we need to be brought back to basics. Uh, you know, who gave us the gift of sport and life? You know, who, who do we belong to um, as children of God? And why do we do what we do? Um, so the who and the, and the why, I think, are, are, are really important. And I'm, I'm, I'm you know, probably not going to flesh that out too much on this podcast because we might run out of time. But, <laughs> but I, I, think, I think if I'm sitting with any athlete who may be in that place, the first thing I want to do is listen to their pain, you know, allow them to give full expression to what they're feeling. Um, and help them to understand where that might be coming from. Um, um, you know, in a, in a few cases, maybe it's time to quit. Um, but I believe God wants us to find joy in our sport. If that's what we've been called to do, 
And so helping an athlete rediscover that joy, I think, is really important. And it does start with us addressing those questions of, of who you are um, and, uh, and why you do what you do. I love that you said maybe, maybe it is time to give it up, but you should, you should work at trying to figure out if it's something that God is calling you still or not. 100%. Yeah, I mean, my, my own story is I wanted to be a professional cricketer. I took my, my cricket reasonably seriously, but getting married, starting a young family, and actually, without realizing it, beginning to, to God steering me in other directions. You know, I was leading a student ministry in, in my church. These things were starting to take up my time. And whilst I still could have played cricket on a, on a Saturday, I would have found that quite hard because I was used to playing Saturday and Sunday afternoons, a midweek game, netting a couple of times a week, um, you know, practicing a couple of times a week. And suddenly I didn't have time to do that. And so for me, it was the right time. So I have no regrets about it, you know, have no regrets at all. But I couldn't invest in taking my sport seriously and feeling that I could compete at the level that I was competing at anymore. It wasn't that I stopped enjoying it, but God had other priorities uh, for my life, my family and, 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 and a ministry direction that was ultimately to lead me into church leadership and becoming a pastor. You never know what God has in store for you. I love that. Um, but Bruce, thank you so much for coming on today. I think our conversation was really great and what you're doing in South Africa is so inspiring for me uh, and I know it is for a lot of people but thank you thank you again for coming on it was a real honor to talk with you and likewise thank you I'm very humbled that you invited me and uh, if you ever want to come to Cape Town and come and visit us you'd be more than welcome (laughs) thank you thank you I'll I'll try to sneak over there uh, sometime in the future can't can't afford to pay your flight but we could give you free accommodation (laughs) okay Uh, well all right. Well, for all the listeners out there, please remember to leave a rating and a review on the podcast. It really helps us out. Please remember that no matter what, no matter if you don't get anything else from the podcast, remember that God loves you and he's going to fight for you no matter what. Talk to you next time.